Yeah, I think in general, the advice I'm giving from a marketing standpoint is just for those who are doing the marketing is to just be more choosy with the experiments that you're running. You don't want to try a whole bunch of new things and looking for ways to just scale things back so you can still achieve your goals, but hopefully without breaking the bank. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host, Justin Levy. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Melanie Diesel about her new book, Prove It, and her thoughts around how do you focus on earning trust within your company and to prove any claims that you make as a company. Melanie is a keynote speaker, author, award-winning branded content creator, and the author of the best-selling marketing and business communications book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Melanie is also the co-founder and VP of marketing at theconvoy.com, which is a B2B marketplace that helps small and independent businesses save money on their everyday expenses so they can invest more in themselves, in their communities. Her second book, which we'll talk about today, is called Prove It, Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust. And it's out in bookstores and Amazon and anywhere else you can find a book right now. Prior to co-founding The Convoy, Melanie was the founder of StoryFuel and spent her days giving keynotes and leading workshops that taught marketers, creators, and companies of all sizes how to create better content. She was the first editor of branded content at the New York Times, a founding member of HuffPost's branded storytelling team, and served as the director of creative strategy for Time, Inc. I'm really excited to talk to you today after that, that very successful and wide range of bio. <laughs> yeah, the New York Times, that's a fun little uh, Easter egg for you, I guess. We just talked about, obviously, your career background, but can you talk a little bit more about your background, how it brought you to branded content and, you know, obviously through these periods of your career? Yeah, I never meant to be a marketer at all. I, and I never would have guessed that I would become one, but I was always interested in storytelling and sort of as a whole, you know, into theater and writing for the literary magazine as a, in school, all those sorts of things. When I got to college, I found that journalism for me was like a totally new way to do storytelling because each story was a chance to be an expert in something different. So, it was, you know, I could go out and learn about the town hall meeting one day and then go out and talk about, you know, a local citizen who turned 100 another day. You know, it was really varied and I liked that. And I had always thought I would get into journalism, that I'd work in a newspaper somewhere. But when I graduated was when a lot of newspapers were downsizing and laying off folks, kind of turning digital. So I found that the skills I had picked up as a journalist were super useful in the marketing world to kind of be able to find these stories and hunt them out and, you know, find ways to help bring them to light. And so I've always thought of myself more like a journalist that's incognito that I've infiltrated marketing, you know, and I'm kind of taking all those best practices and and applying them in a brand context. So it's been a lot of fun because I feel like it's educational as well as a great creative challenge, you know, getting to share those best practices. In your new book, Prove It, you focus on earning trust in the ways that companies can do that. And you start the book out 
with the five claim types. Now, what do you mean by claim types? And then obviously, what are those five? Yeah. So the claim types are really interesting. It's basically when you're looking at your brand, how do you determine what are the promises that I'm making? What are the the guarantees, the expectations that I'm setting for my audience? And a lot of times it's claims you're making about yourself, your products and the services you provide. So they come in a, in a couple different varieties. One of the most baseline ones is competence, right? We make claims about how good we are at what we do and how we're going to deliver on those promises. You know, I promise you get these results. I have this kind of experience. It's really about your ability to do what you say you do, right? Another really common one is that convenience claims are those where you're saying like, it's easy to work with us or, you know, we, it's really fast to set up. It's, we integrate with a lot of different partners. It's all those claims where you're basically just saying like, it's super easy to work with us. So a lot of claims fall into that category, particularly if you're B2C. Another one is connection, where you're talking about how deeply you connect it with your customers, right? So like the relationship you have with customers, this is like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right? The sort of like Olive Garden, when you're here, your family, right? It's all about that relationship with typically with customers, like the connection that you create and the human element. We also have commitment. Commitment is is an interesting one because it, it can be commitment to people, which sounds very similar to the connection one, but it can also be commitment to your values. So that could be, um, you know, your commitment to sustainability or equal hiring practices, for example. It could be your commitment to, you know, gender pay equality or something else. But basically, these are the claims around your values as a brand. What is it that you stand for? What is it that you, you know, how you operate and how how you kind of carry yourself in the world outside of your products? It's typically a product adjacent message, uh, really just trying to tell people what what matters to you as a company. And then the last one is comparability, or Phil says comparability, you know, because he's uh, my co-author, he's British, so we have, we have differing pronunciations here. But comparability, the idea here is these are the claims that pit you up against your competitors. So could be saying that I'm faster, I'm better, uh, you know, we have more customers. It's similar to competence claims where you're talking about what you're good at. Comparability claims are similar, except you're saying in comparison to someone else. So those are the five basic claim types that in general, when you look at like your marketing, you look at like your ads, your mottos, you know, a lot of the packaging that you may have or or signage, they're going to find convenience, comparability, commitment, connection, and competence claims sprinkled throughout. You mentioned that before you can prove a claim that you need to review all the available information. So where do you even begin to start that process? Yeah, the, the idea, I guess, is that, you know, you could just decide a random claim that you want to prove, but it's a lot better if you kind of back up to your core and you say, what is it that we want our customers to think about us? What perception are we trying to build? Because you start with that sort of who you are piece, and it becomes a lot easier to determine which kind of claims you want to put effort into proving. But at the end of the day, your claims could be anywhere. Like I mentioned before, you want to look at obviously like your ads, any sort of signage and this digital ads, print ads, out of home, direct mail, like whatever you're doing to speak to your customers. You want to look at your digital communication. So that's everything from like your email newsletter and your social media, your web copy, to, you know, like the fine print when you unsubscribe, like any piece of digital text where you're communicating with your audience. But you also want to look at 
especially if you have any sort of physical presence, like a storefront or you have representatives or something, everything from like a name tag that says, I don't know, happiest employees around or, you know what I mean? Like anything where you're setting an expectation for your audience, you know, copy on your menu, like you are setting expectations everywhere. So a couple of things to look for is superlatives. So anytime you're saying you're like the best, fast, most any sort of like award you're giving yourself, that's a good claim that you probably want to prove. Numbers are usually a good sign that you have a claim there, you know, 30 minutes or less or 60 day guarantee, those kinds of things. Um, or just any adjective. Like generally speaking, when we're describing ourselves, we're making some kind of claim that we're friendly, we're, you know, experts. Any sort of description of yourself is probably good, a good signal that's one of the claims you may want to consider proving. So if you need to prove or if you're you're recommending proven one of these claims, you suggest in the book that there are two claim types, those that are objective and those that are subjective. Now, I'd like to think a lot of people that listen to the podcast understand objective versus subjective, but the framework of proving it as a business, a claim that you're making can you expand on those two types of claims? Yeah. So when we talk about the two different types, it's really about how provable those claims are. So it's an important distinction to make. An objective claim is something that you are going to be able to prove easily because there is a, a truth, right? That could be like, we have, you know, 14 different flavors. Okay, well, you either do or you don't. So that's going to be pretty easy to know. I mean, like that's a, there's a pretty obvious example there. Another thing, is it waterproof? Like you can dip it in water and find out it either is or it isn't waterproof. You know, something that has a clear, correct answer is generally an objective claim that other people would measure it and guess the same answer, basically. It, it has a known truth, a, a correct answer. Uh, subjective claims are a little harder to prove because there isn't really a standard measurement and or people could judge them different ways. So if I were to say like, you know, our pillows are very soft. Justin, what's your scale of softness? What do you consider? How do you describe the appropriate level of soft? What is it? When does it cross into not soft? That's a tough thing to prove, right? Or how that, you know, our new flavor is delicious. What's the determinant? What's the scale of delicious? Like where, how do you determine there's no lisho meter that you can turn to, to to find the proof, right? So for those cases, it doesn't mean that you can't prove it. It just means that it's going to be a little less clear cut and you probably have to be a little more thoughtful, a little more strategic in how you can gather that kind of evidence. So the examples I gave, you know, something being delicious or not, well, there may not be a universal delicious meter, but I bet if I were to show you, you know, a bunch of customers trying it and all saying, wow, this is so good. Wow, this is really yummy. This is so tasty. You're going to be like, all right, I get the vibe. People like this stuff. It tastes the same thing with softness, you know. I don't know, all the bed companies and pillow companies, they always do that egg test, right? Where they like put the egg on the bed or the pillow and then they smush it to see if it breaks or not. If the egg doesn't break, then surely it must be very soft. So there's ways to prove those kinds of things. You just kind of have to invent your own way to do it because there's not a clear ruler or scale to turn to. Funny that you mentioned the delicious claim because there is a, a local ice cream creamery down the street from us and we're fortunate enough where we live, we have a lot of these types of places, but there is one that has every flavor humanly possible and everyone around me thinks that their ice cream is delicious because it's a, it's cream, it's, you know, it's a cream based one. It's not just 
you know, grocery store, I can't stand it. Like the chocolate is not chocolate to me, the, you know, <laughs> so it is not delicious to me. So that is a subjective claim for me, even though they probably, they position it themselves one way. So we know the claim types, right? We know the five, we know that they can be objective and subjective. We know that you go and look at all the available information. Now you're in this spot where you actually have to go prove those claims. So how do you take all of that, that you now have all that available data or, or, you know, framework and how do you go actually prove those claims as a business? So I'm going to be biased because my whole thing is content, but I think content is one of the best ways to prove any of your claims because there's lots of different ways you can use it to provide evidence for whatever claims you're making. Uh, In general, there's sort of three types of content you want to look for to use as ways to prove your claims. So corroboration is the first one, and that's when you're using other people's words to kind of back up what you're saying. So this is the example of the deliciousness, right? I can't necessarily prove how delicious the ice cream is, but if I get a lot of good reviews from other people, or I get a bunch of customers talking about how delicious it is, then, well, that's pretty good. You know, I'm backing it up with other people's claims. Even if you don't like it, it still counts as backing it up with corroboration. You know, demonstration is another one where you're showing it. So if corroboration is like the, you can don't have to take my word for it, you can take someone else's word for it. Demonstration is the content where you're like, you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself, like you can experience it yourself. So that comes back to the like egg test that we were talking about. You know, I could just say it's super soft or I could say, look with your own eyes, watch as this egg does not get squished, you know, does not break open when we press it onto the mattress. So that kind of content is, is really helpful when you can demonstrate something. A lot of times I like to think of demonstration content as like infomercial content, which I know infomercials are pretty cheesy and we don't generally want to aspire to infomercials. One thing infomercials do really well is demonstrate how their products work, demonstrate how they compare to others, demonstrate how good those products are at doing what they promise. So that's kind of the mindset of demonstration content. How can I show it? How can I let the audience see the truth of this cream like with their own eyes? Then the last one is education. So education, educational content is really your attempt to help the audience understand the claim. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily work super well for the two examples we have here, but particularly if you're in a heavily regulated industry, you're in a complicated industry, or you're in any sort of industry where your buyer is not necessarily your end user. So there might be some like difference in their understanding of things. You will probably have to teach your audience how to even understand the claims that you're making or why those claims are important. My you know, great example of this is when I was, my husband and I bought a house for the first time. We were first time home buyers earlier this year. And a lot of the contractors that we were working with, you know, painter or plumber or whatever else, they're telling us all the different brands that they use or the specific tools that they use. And I don't know, if, is that a good brand? Is that a bad brand? Does the fact that you only use this particular tool or this particular process, is that a good thing? Does it mean, you know, does it mean that it's less reliable? Like, I don't understand those claims because I'm a first-time buyer and I'm not well-versed in some of those topics. So in those cases, the contractors that were able to explain and say, we only use this kind because it has a better reputation, because it has a longer shelf life, because, you know, the results are proven to last better in the weather, which we know you're going to be exposed to because it won't crack in the heat. And we know that your front door is facing the road. It's going to, you know, it's facing the sun. We want to make sure it doesn't crack. So 
they were able to educate me on why those claims were important, which then allowed me to make a more informed decision and to understand that not only do they know what they're talking about, but now I feel like I can evaluate whether that claim is important to me as a consumer. In the economic downturn that we're currently in, in your work with your clients and things of that nature, what are you doing or advising them on to help on how to adapt to this? One of the things that's really helpful is knowing that proof is extremely important, especially in a time like this. When you have any sort of economic downturn, you're looking at people who are going to be more careful about their purchases. And that's whether they're individuals or organizations. Like, you know, we're going to be paying attention a lot more to the bottom line, to our expenses, you know, to recurring charges and things like that. Being able to prove your competence, the value that you provide in exchange for what the cost is, how you compare to others who may be cheaper is going to be super important because you want to be able to live up to that extra scrutiny that they're going to have during this time when they're, you know, more worried about the bottom line. So, I would say you want to focus particularly on any proof that you can provide related to value or price, knowing that your audience is going to be more sensitive to it. For us at the Convoy, you know, we're really focused on helping small businesses save money. So this is a time where we know we can provide a ton of value to our users to say, you know, as you're paying more attention to that bottom line, as you're really worrying about your costs, there's a time where you can use our service, you know, which is completely free to help save money to, to group up your purchasing and get those group rates when you may not be able to get that kind of rate on your own. Um, but yeah, I think in general, the advice I'm giving from a marketing standpoint is just for those who are doing the marketing is to just be more choosy with the experiments that you're running. I think when when we're flush with budget, which I don't know that we ever really are as marketers, but you know, it's easy to get excited and, and want to try a whole bunch of new things. And when the purse strings are a little tighter, sometimes you just have to be you know, you have to scale back your experiments in terms of their size or, you know, the, the maybe instead of a 10 video series, you're working on a six video series. You know, maybe instead of 15 minute videos, they're five minute videos looking for ways to just scale things back so you can still achieve your goals, but hopefully without breaking the bank. I like the tie into the book there. I think you deserve a special award for being able to make that tie. Is there a book, blog, newsletter website that you recommend that the listeners go you know, subscribe to, go buy as soon as they're done with this episode? So I'm going to take an unconventional route and say just Anne Hanley as an entire being is who you should check out. Uh, her book, Everybody Writes, which I already love. The first edition just came out with the second revised edition. So check out Everybody Writes really awesome asset and resource, no matter what your career is. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, it's extremely relevant for you. Um, so you'll want to check out Everybody Writes. But Anne also writes an incredible newsletter called Total Anarchy, A-N-N for Anne. Get it? So Total Anarchy. And her, her newsletter is one of the few that I mark as important that I send right to the direct inbox that I read you know, every single week because it's just such a great source of inspiration it's entertaining, it's well-written, and provides a lot of great resources. So Ian Hanley, umbrella resource that you should be paying attention to. I agree. I just finished the second edition of Everybody Writes, and it can be intimidating for people that just buy the hard copy because it's thick. It's encyclopedia thick, but it's filled with laughter, and it something that you'll always use as a resource, as a writer, as a content creator of any kind, 
And I think that's one of the things that she stresses through her writing, both newsletter online in the book. What a lot of people don't realize is that we're all writers. If you write an email, you're a writer. So you can take certain things away. You don't have to be someone that's writing blog posts and books and website copy and things of that nature. So I highly agree and and suggest that you follow her, friend her, connect with her, buy the book. I have two copies of the new book on my shelf so that I can give one away. Now, who would you recommend that we bring on the show before you say Anne? She's already been a guest, so you're not allowed to say her. Okay, so I won't say Anne again, but I will say my co-author, Phil Jones, is a wonderful resource, particularly for folks who maybe are working closely with sales or sales adjacent. We worked together on Prove It because it was the kind of the bringing together of the marketing background and the sales background that I think Proving It is really all about. So he's awesome. And his book, Exactly What to Say, is another fantastic resource. So I think your folks would love to hear from Phil. And as we wrap up, how can people get in touch with you after the podcast? So my home base is storyfuel.co, so storyfuel.co. That's sort of my main hub website. That's where you'll find the links about the books, about working with me, all my social links, pretty much anything you'd want to know, lots of resources for storytellers and marketers. That's the place I would head. Currently, Twitter is my go-to platform. There's a bit of unrest at the moment. I don't know how long that will still be true. So if you're listening to this far in the future, if this is a back episode for you, Maybe I'm not as active on Twitter now, but at the moment, that's where you can find me most active. Thank you so much, Melanie, for taking the time out of your day. Uh, I really enjoyed having you. Hopefully the listeners will get something out of it and go buy a copy of your book. It's a fantastic read. For those that don't have it, it's short, and but so you can make it through it very quickly, but there's a lot of content, a lot of information within those pages. So Thank you for writing it and for being a guest. And thanks for letting me share my story. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 